the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Several years ago, one of my sons was working at a Carm thrift store and got me this cool backpack. It's a National Guard backpack. Ever since then, I, I can't believe how long this has lasted, like a decade. And I'll be walking around, and I've had so many people ask me if I was in the military. And I'm always honest and tell them I'm not. I respect people who are. But I've, I've, I've had a lot of time to look at this thing, and I've really wondered what this camouflage is for. I'm not sure what environment this digital camouflage would help you blend into, except for one. And that is the rest of the military. As you guys know, there it goes, it's okay. As you guys know, uh, the main reason that there are these uniforms and all that stuff, and even a lot of the rules and ranks and everything in the military is because they have to work as a unit. There has to be a different kind of a code. They have to know exactly where, what role everybody plays and where you fit in, or it just doesn't work. Very similarly, the body of Christ works together in this way. And God has given us some very specific teachings, some from Jesus himself, some from other gospel writers. But he's told us exactly, this is how you treat one another within this group, within the body of Christ. And in these last several weeks and a couple more to go, we're digging deep into that. The Greek word of lelon is what's normally translated as one another or each other, sometimes some slight variation on that. But every time you see that in the scripture, it's talking about this idea that it's how we treat one another within the body. And then as a body, as I've told you several times, and you'll hear it a lot more, uh, after this series, the next one is, so what does the body do in the world? What is God calling us to do? We're going to dig even deeper than ever into that. But right now, we're marinating, how do we treat each other? We good? Just making sure we're all on the same page. So here we go. Romans 12, 4 through 5. This should be familiar to you by now. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Everything changes for you when you join the military. Or when you sign up for a job that's kind of a career job. Or when you get married. Or there's several others. And there's certainly a complete change of who you are and what's expected of you when you join the body of Christ. The first big idea we're looking at today is this. We warn one another. I'd like you to imagine for just a minute. What would it be like if God hadn't given us instincts uh, to protect ourselves? For example, you see something sharp flying at your head. What if you had to go, hmm, that looks dangerous. There's a good chance that that could actually hurt me, possibly even kill me. Maybe I should raise a limb or something. Maybe I should duck. No. Long before, long before you thought all that through, it'd be over. That's why something flies at our head. We all just go, it all happens at once. We don't think about it. We don't have to because that's how it works. Well, it should be just that instinctual within the body of Christ. When we see somebody else hurting, when we see somebody else messing up, instead of stomping on them or trying to hurt them in any possible way, we rush in to help. We instinctually try to 
protect. And this is why we do all the stuff we've been talking about so far. We speak the truth in love. We work to motivate one another. We forgive one another. We support one another. And, and we protect one another as best as we can. And here's why. Here's what our enemy always wants to do. He wants to distract us. And if that's all it takes, he's fine with that. As long as we don't treat each other the way God wants us to, he's good. We don't have to be despicably, seen chewingly evil. We just not get it right. Or he wants to divide us because if we don't work together, we'll never accomplish God's will on the earth. If necessary, he'll destroy us. He'll work to try and just wipe us out. But that's not even his big goal. It's just anything but God's will will do. Tonight, if you come back for the deep dive, we're going to dig deeper into spiritual warfare. If that intrigues you and you'd like to know what that looks like on a daily basis, just join us. We'll actually be in Kid Central tonight doing that. But we're going to stay on track here right now. God gives us a lot of warnings throughout scripture. One is a cool story with Samuel. He was a priest, prophet, judge, really cool, unique leader. And the people demanded from him that there be a king. So he goes to God and he prays about it. Here was God's answer to him. He says, now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And in that passage, he outlined that he's going to charge taxes. He's going to be able to demand that your kids go into the military or become his slaves. He's going to be able to do all these things, just so you know. And that's how the whole Bible actually presents most of the warnings. The whole book of Proverbs, for example. It's not trying to just tell you just how wrong certain things are, how badly God hates it. It mentions that. But the real focus of the warnings we see in scripture and the warnings we're supposed to give one another is simply, hey, I know you're trying to get this direction, but where you're heading is not going to take you there. I'll help you get back on track. I'll do whatever. I love you. I'm not judging you. I just, we need to all go the same direction here. And where you're going does not work. This is how to get where you're going. Anybody ever had some directions that were wrong? Yeah. Anybody ever just been lost and gotten good directions and it saved your life? How many, how many like your GPS? I love my GPS. I'm so thankful for it. Actually, Paul says that the whole Old Testament in one way or another is a warning in that same series, in, in that same sense. He says these things happened to them, the people in all those old stories, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages had come. And this is the spirit that the scripture actually gives us all of this stuff. It's not so much just railing against how much God hates stuff as it is. These are the things that are going to keep you from ever experiencing what I designed you to experience. If you go these directions, it's just not going to work. For example, in Galatians 5, Paul's listing the acts of the flesh or the natural inclinations of our minds and our bodies without God's help. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. And then notice, notice here how many of these have to do with division and distraction and messing up the body of Christ. Listen, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy. None of those are okay. 
None of those are acceptable within the body of Christ. None of those work for a lay loan. Sometimes churches will kind of turn a blind eye to that kind of behavior, but make sure that we get the other ones on that list forbidden. Paul says, they're all going to lead you astray. They're all going to take you somewhere else. Listen, he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not a judgment. It's not an angry speech. He's saying, listen, this path goes this way. This one goes this way. I've said this one before. It just makes sense to me because we live so close to the interstate. If you get on I-40 East, you're going to head to Knoxville and eventually Asheville and some other parts of North Carolina. Doesn't matter if you really want to go to Nashville. Doesn't matter how badly you're going to... Doesn't matter if you're on the phone saying, yeah, I'm on my way to Nashville. Doesn't matter if you're listening to songs that were written in Nashville. If you're going East, you're not going to end up in Nashville. It doesn't mean you're an evil person. It doesn't mean you're sick and gross and God hates you. You're just not going the right direction. And somebody, your GPS or somebody in the car, somebody, God help you, I hope, is going to love you enough to say, hey, you know what? You need to take that exit and go back the other way. Paul says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. How many times in churches is the thing that the devil uses or that we just do on our own without his help, the thing that distracts us, the thing that divides us, the thing that sometimes even destroys us, it's just fighting over words. How we define certain words and how we understand certain verses in the Bible, for example. Again, the devil will use anything that will work. As long as we don't get it right. As long as we don't warn each other and love each other and speak the truth to each other and protect each other and support one another and motivate one another. As long as we're not getting it the way God wants it to do, he's okay. But we're not. Here's, here's some of the stuff it says don't do to one another. Let's say it as a statement together, if you would. We do not speak against one another. Now, that, that phrase, speak against, can be translated a lot of ways. It can be translated as um, slander or as insult or gossip or a whole bunch. Sometimes, depending on the version you're reading, it'll literally use that phrase, speak against. That's literally what it means in Greek. Sometimes in the same verse, it'll say two different ways. For example, James 4.11 says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. There's that phrase. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law. It's the same phrase, speaks against and slander. In the Greek, it's me katalalete, and it means speak evil, speak down, speak maliciously, gossip, slander, insult. Any way that we are, the point of what we're saying, hear me on this. The point of what we're saying is to tear them down, to hurt them. To make them pay. To make them realize just how wrong they are. That's not what we need to do. That's not what he's asking us to do. We're part of a body. And there are times when we have to help each other. There's times we've got to confront each other. There's times like a GPS we've got to say recalculating. 
and help each other get back on track. But it's not because we're so right and they're so wrong and we're trying to make them pay for getting off track. It's because the whole body needs to go in the same direction and we need them too. So how did Jesus teach us to handle this? What happens when somebody gets off track? What, time, what happens when you have to confront sin, when you have to deal with conflict within the body of Christ? Well, he actually gives some really clear teachings, and I would encourage you to read two whole chapters about this on your own time. It's highlighted in the Bible study guide. You've got Bible apps, you've got printed Bibles, you'll be able to figure this out. Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 6 is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's focusing on how the things that we do for God have to be especially just for God. We don't do it to show off. We don't do it to please other people. And in the middle of that, he especially focuses on prayer. That's where he teaches us what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is a way to pray, not just words you say, but you come to God and you daily submit And you ask him to meet your needs. You ask him to forgive you of your sins as you forgive those who sin against you. Brothers and sisters, if we just did that every day, I don't mean just reciting the Lord's prayer. I don't mean just every single day at some point you go, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. That's not the, but if every day you legitimately go to God and you say, God, I want every part of my life to be about giving you glory. I want people to look at whatever I'm doing and go, okay, there must be a God, and he must be good. Every single day you come to God that way, and every day you say, God, whatever is wrong in me, would you please forgive it, and I am forgiving everyone else. I release them, and I release myself from the responsibility of making them pay. How many of the conflicts that distract or destroy us would just dissipate if we all did that every single time? Most of them. And when they don't, and it wouldn't fix everything, that's why there's Matthew 18. The whole chapter deals with issues of pride and people actually really messing up. In that chapter, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep and the shepherd that goes to find the one sheep instead of just staying with all the ones who didn't wander off. He talks about the unforgiving servant who's forgiven of a huge debt and won't forgive the person who had a small debt. And in the middle of all that, he gives us a step-by-step instruction of how to handle conflict. It's very clear, and I'd like to walk you back through this. I hope and pray this is not the first time you've heard this. But it's not just there as a neat idea. It's not a cool poster to hang on your wall and go, wouldn't that be great? This is the plan. This is what we do. This is what the body of Christ does. He says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him this fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Sadly, I I think many of us in the church have either done this or been the victim of this, where instead of somebody going straight to the person, they do like kids do in families, and they tattletale. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you believe what they're up to? 
Or that you have a problem with the preacher, you go to the elders or somebody else in the congregation. Can you believe what he said? Can you believe what he did? I'm not telling you a specific story here. I'm just saying, you know this happens sometimes somewhere, somewhere in the world, right? But it's not how it should be. It's not how Jesus taught us to do it. We're not supposed to be tattletaling. We're not supposed to be speaking against one another in any way. The point of what we're saying should never be to say, I am so right and you are so wrong. And man, I'm going to make you pay. The point is, we're trying to fix it. It's like, again, the body. Even God has put all these clues about how all this stuff works everywhere. If you cut your finger... Instantly, a whole bunch of miracles start happening. Just like the instinctual trying to protect yourself that our body does without us having to think about it. Instantly, blood flows there and the nerves are telling stories and the white blood cells are going. It's just amazing what all is happening all at once to try and fix that problem. Nobody goes, well, that finger's messed up. Let's chop this thing off. I got other things to do. That's not the point. Amputation is the absolute last resort, right? That's how it is for all of us. It's the same way with the body of Christ. We rush in to help. So let's look at this. Let's look at this step-by-step process one more time. Step one, you go to that person first. You don't mumble about it. Good night, what in the world? You would pray about it. But you certainly don't share it as a prayer request. We need to pray for brother so-and-so. I mean, I don't want to say anything bad about him, but good night. Well, we do need to pray. So let me just tell you what's going on. It didn't work. That's not how it works. You go to brother so-and-so. If you can't work it out between you and God and your daily submission to God and forgiving so that you can be forgiven, if that doesn't work for you, you really think you got to go to a brother so-and-so or somebody should, well, guess who it is? It's you from Jesus himself. Go straight to your brother or sister and try and work it out. Second step, because sometimes that doesn't work. But honestly, how many times would that work? Most of the time, I know I would much rather somebody come up and just honestly look me in the eye and say, I don't agree with you about this. I I think this is wrong. Then find out that they've been telling a whole bunch of people about it. And I'm not the only one who thinks this. Wouldn't you? But let's say it doesn't work. The second step is you bring witnesses. And this, this word, witnesses, and that phrase about the two or three witnesses, that's a direct quote from several places in the Old Testament. Jesus is referencing this principle. He's saying, you need some referees here. You need some people to watch. This is not you taking everybody who's on your side. They're not on your side. They're there to make sure that everything goes down in an honorable way. They're there to back up either side because it's for the whole body to be restored. The goal is that the whole family gets fixed. Most of the time that will work. But if not, then it goes to this place where it's interesting because almost every English translation renders this as church. There's a a Greek word, ekklesia. And I think it's appropriate to call it his church. But the word at that point, and remember, Jesus is teaching this before he died, before he came back to life, before there was a church. It was long before then anything that looked like what we call church here. 
So I guarantee you he's not saying the last step is you come up here, you grab the microphone and to the internet and everybody else, you make sure everybody knows what brother so-and-so did and just won't repent of it. That's not what he's talking about. The ecclesia in Jesus' day was a kind of a town council. Anybody could be on that. Men or women, slaves, free, anybody could be on this. But if you were on that council, if you got chosen to be on that council, you had a responsibility to work together to make the whole community work better. Maybe, I'm just throwing this out. Maybe that's what he literally meant was go to them. Go to the community leaders. I personally think he meant more like what we'd call the church because Jesus knew what was about to happen. Here would be my personal recommendation to you. If you've tried the prayer and it doesn't work, you've tried going to the person and it doesn't work, you've tried getting some people who care, just the fewest amount period, just some people you know that are going to be fair and objective, but they really want this thing to actually get worked out. That doesn't work. For us today, the way the church is organized, he says, that's when you'd go to the elders, in my opinion. That's where you would include some people who have been designated as leaders, as shepherds, to help work things out. Because very clearly what Jesus is saying here is you go to a group of people that you respect, a group of people who are entrusted to help make the whole community go better. I do believe today that means the church. And my personal recommendation is that's when you go to the elders. And then most of the time, by the time you get to that spot, it would work. But sometimes it doesn't. How many know some people just, they're going to do what they want. And so at this point, you go back to square one. Jesus was amazingly kind and welcoming and spent a lot of time with Gentiles and tax collectors. He recruited a tax collector to be on his team. Jesus didn't hate these people. He's not saying you reject them. He's just saying they're not really in the LA loan group anymore. But again, remember, just like in the military, if you, I'll go ahead and grab my backpack real quick. Sorry, camera. Here we go. That's my prop. The last resort is court-martial. That's not what you want. You want everybody to stay on the team. You want the government to get their money's worth. You want them to get their time and money's worth. You want everybody to work together and everybody play their role. That's what it's about. The final thing of, oh, then you're just out. That's the last resort. And that's how it is in the kingdom of God as well. Is this making sense so far? Praise God. But this is where all of this is going. Just like in the military, there's a purpose to all this. You don't join the military just so you can learn a bunch of rules and follow them every day. If you've been in the military, you know that it sometimes feels that way. I've heard the stories. But that's not the point. The point is, all of that stuff is there because they've got a job to do. And they've got to be prepared to do other jobs when necessary. And you need all of the stuff firing at well all the time for that to work. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. This is, this is where it's all going. Let's say this together. We serve one another. Would you say that with me? We serve one another. 
And we practice on each other. We practice on our, our spouses and our families and our small groups and our Sunday school classes. We practice on a congregation like this. We practice on each other so that we can get even better at reaching out to people who aren't on the team yet. But we know we want them to be on the team. We know God wants them to be on the team. So we serve one another. And the Holy Spirit's going to give everybody a different kind of gift. He's going to prepare some of you with external gifts. You're, you're going to long to always be going outside the walls. And you're going to have gifts and abilities and opportunities to do that. A bunch of us are going to have more internal kind of, excuse me, internal kind of gifts. So we can support all of that. Just like your hand's not going to get much done unless your heart and your lungs and the rest of your insides are all doing their job. But the whole point is we're all getting this together. We serve one another. Peter says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible just lays out so clearly. It's Philippians 2. Paul starts out, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he talks about Jesus. It's almost this poem. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in his very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing took on human form and became a servant, became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Therefore, he continues... My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not earn it, live it out, work it out, do it every day. You got the job, you go to the work every day. You got the place on the team, you practice and you play with the team. You get that. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And how do we do that? What's that look like? This should sound really familiar now. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. One of my favorite movies ever is The Fugitive. Anybody ever seen this one? Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Really great. I love that one. One of the things I love about it is there's real bad guys in this story, but the main protagonist or hero and the main antagonist or the main person opposing the protagonist are both good guys. You're kind of rooting for both of them the whole time. 
There's not a lot of cool stories like that. There's a key moment in there where Harrison Ford says, I did not kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. Because he's just doing his job. He's a U.S. Marshal. He's got to track him down. All he knows is he's escaped from prison for killing his wife. He's just got to bring him in. And John Kimball's breaking all these laws trying to prove that he didn't kill his wife and trying to get the guys who did. They're both on the same side and they finally figure that out after opposing each other the whole thing and then they finally bring down the actual bad guys. There's something spiritual about that to me because so often we end up struggling against other believers and wasting our time and spinning our wheels doing that and we never actually realize we're on the same team enough to at least work together, at least go the same direction at least pray for each other. And then God can actually fight the actual enemy for us and help us win the victories that he wants us to win. Recently, uh, somebody showed me a clip. Uh, I'd like to share this with you too. It's gone viral. You've probably seen it, but this has been so inspiring to me. Before I show it, I just wanna, just wanna set up. This is, this is the attitude I think we should all have. I don't think this kid was trying to teach us anything. I think he was just being himself that day. But just like in the military, just like in the body of Christ, he gets it on a fundamental joyful level that every role is a classic role. Let's watch the video. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part? Yeah. Um, Joseph? No. Uh, uh, one of the three wise men? No. But it's a classic part? Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then, because... I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, Probably... Um, Joseph and Mary. Oh my gosh, were you pleased when they said that? Yeah. I was like, I'm a door holder. Get in there, let's go, yes. <laughs> you think you're going to be a door holder? No, I'll have to wear like brown. Really? Yeah, probably. Excellent. That's, wow, that's really smart, Milo. I don't know what part God's calling you to play. Some of you I do. I work with you. I've seen you in action. I've heard about what you've done. I don't know every single one of you, but here's what I know. You have a vital role to play. If you're part of the body of Christ, you are a baptized believer in Christ. The whole thing, here's what I know. The Holy Spirit has gifted you with some abilities and also you have a role to play with those abilities. You've got to figure out what that is. One of the things that we sometimes need to warn each other against is that somehow God's plan was just that we show up sometimes. That's not his plan. We show up often, hopefully faithfully, so that we motivate each other and speak truth to each other and all those other things and then go out and play the roles that he's given us. That's his dream. And when necessary, we warn one another. If that's your role, I promise you that's not a fun one. To go to somebody, to confront somebody is never, never fun. But if that's what, that's what he's calling you to do today, I beg you to do it with Jesus' advice. Pray about it first. See if you really, really, really need to confront him. And if so, go through that step-by-step process. I'm not going to walk through it one more time, but it's in there. It's right there. I hope that's clear. 
But you got to play that role you were given. And, and, and never, ever, we must not speak against one another. When you confront them, it's not an insult. It's not a screaming and yelling about what a loser they are and what a terribly awful person that, how could they, that's not it. You're trying to heal the body. You're the white blood cells rushing to that cut. You're trying to help. You speak directly to them. You speak to God on their behalf. You don't speak against them. And finally, we serve one another. We remember that every single one of us has that vital role to play and we figure out how to do it and we practice by serving one another and then working together to serve the world around us. This morning, as always, we're gonna wrap up with a chance for you to make a decision. We're gonna sing together. And as we sing, if you have something you'd like to make public, if you'd like to pray publicly, if you'd like to um, make a decision, this is your chance. But this is what I'm asking you. Even if you don't sing, would you, would you honestly wrestle with God this morning? And ask him this. What is the classic role that he has for you? Maybe you're already playing it. I hope you embrace it more than ever with joy, with passion. You play that role. Who do you need to hold a door for? At some point or another, we're all door holder number three. Are you with me? At some point or another, no matter what your classic role is, you're playing a supporting role to somebody else. There's gotta be somebody that God is asking you to help as part of the body of Christ today. And if you do need to work something out with somebody, I beg you to go straight to them. Pray, go through that whole thing. Whatever it is that God's asking you to do this morning, as we stand, as we sing, let me just say this. Get in there. Let's go. Mm -hmm.